Okay, thank you, Randy, for uh, opening, and thank you, Pete, for playing on the piano. So uh, if you have your uh, Bibles, keep them open at uh, 1 John chapter 2, if uh, you could, uh, could do that, be very, very grateful. And so uh, this evening, I would like to talk uh, about um, the subject of hate. Now, um, we see signs around our town that say hate has no home here. And uh, here in church, we've got a bit of a problem when we see signs like that because the Bible tells us something a wee bit different to what we see in that sign. And if you have uh, a chance to look at Psalm 97 and verse 10, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Okay? Let those who love the Lord hate evil. Now, this evening, what I'd like to try and do is uh, to talk to anybody here who's not a believer, um, and I want to tell you why we as believers don't want to have anything to do with the way that you live your life. Now, that sounds like a bit of a tall order, doesn't it? It seems a bit pompous in some respects, but as we read the scriptures, we discover that there is indeed an imperative that we have separation from the world, separation from the system of the world and the way that it operates. Um, a group of children had recently completed the tour of a hospital. It was one of those uh, events where they were taken from school to visit, to look around and to learn a bit about what took place in the health system. And after the uh, tour had completed, the nurse who had taken them around said, now does anybody have any questions? There was a fraction of a second of silence, and a little lad puts his hand up and says, Yes, can you please tell me, why does everybody keep washing their hands? All the time you see them washing their hands. There was a bit of a chuckle from uh, some of the classmates, and uh, the nurse who was uh, looking after the uh, uh, tour uh, of uh, the children was uh, able to keep herself very, very composed and very serious, and she said, There are two reasons that we're always washing our hands. The first one is, is that the staff here love health. And the second reason is that they hate germs. And they don't want their hands to have germs on them and spread them to others. Now, when you think about it, there are many areas in life where love and hate actually go together, don't they? Uh, chaps, if uh, you're married here, uh, or there's someone very special in your life, if you love your wife then you'll hate anything that causes her a problem. You'll hate anything that causes harm to come into that relationship between you, into your family. And of course, those of us with children, we love our kids, and we hate anything that will endanger them because it's our natural inclination to protect them. And so we have a hatred toward anything which would endanger them and cause them problems and difficulties. And God's word says, you who love the Lord hate evil. Now, John's epistle, of course, is described as the epistle of love. And in it, we have the statement that God is love. And that is a statement that many people in the world quote, and they like to quote to us. They like to remind us as Christians when they think that we are behaving inappropriately and when they think we're saying uh, something which is not right. They keep 
reminding us and pointing the finger at us and saying, but God is love. And we agree with that. The whole of salvation begins with the fact that God loves us. If he didn't, why would he bring the way of salvation? To bring us into a relationship with him. John explains, as you read the uh, little letter here in 1 John, towards the end of the New Testament, he explains very clearly that there is a wrong kind of love. And it's that kind of love that God hates. And that's what we're going to be briefly looking at and talking about this evening. The love that God hates is the love for what the Bible calls the world. And we're going to look at four reasons why Christians should not love the world. Just four. That's, as we said this morning, Jesus was speaking to the disciples and he had to stop because he knew there was no more that they could take and there are times when we have to realize. But the Holy Spirit works within us and he speaks to us. The New Testament word world has at least three uh, different meanings that are found in the scriptures. First of all, of course, there's the physical world, um, God that made the world and all the things therein, Acts 17:24. There's the human world. John 3, verse 16 talks about this, doesn't it? When it says, for God so loved the world, okay, that's you and me, that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And sometimes these two understandings appear together in the same verse. So, for example, John 1 and verse 10, he, Jesus, was in the world and the world, the earth, was made by him and the world, mankind, knew him not. So you can see the two uses contained there in one verse. But the warning that we have here in 1 John 2 and verse 15 that Serena led, read for us simply says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. Now that's a challenge. Because there are lots of things really that we like that the world seems to have to offer to us. And yet God says don't love the world system. not talking about the world of nature here. It's not talking about birds and butterflies and trees and flowers. It's not even talking about the world of men, people. The world named here as our enemy is an invisible spiritual system which is absolutely and totally opposed to God and our Savior, Jesus. Now, perhaps you've been wondering to yourself, why is it so hard for you to experience the love of God in your life? And the answer is that the world that you are in is opposed to your experiencing the love of God. Because that's what the enemy does not want you to experience. He doesn't want you to sense and to know a God who loves you regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have done, regardless of the sin in your life. 
because he knows that the moment you understand that, then it's too late. He will have lost you. We use the word world in the sense of system in our daily conversations, don't we? Uh, we were talking the other day, I think it was, about the news uh, from the world of sport. Now, what in the world is the world of sport? Have you ever thought that to yourself? What, what, what's all that about? So we, we're very familiar with the concept. Uh, I was talking to John about the world of finance. You know, what are derivatives? <laughs> Guilts. And I'm sure you could come up with a whole load of dodgy mortgages, I think, is the answer to some of the questions that uh, uh, people have taken out and have been sold on to others. But there's the world of finance. And so we discover that when it comes to the world system, there is this understanding exactly what it, was, uh, what it is talking about. The world in the Bible is Satan's system of opposing the work of Jesus on the earth. 1 John 5 verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Jesus called Satan what? He called him the prince of this world. John 12 and verse 31. And the devil has an organization of evil spirits working with him and influencing the affairs of this world. Read Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12. Well, Jesus explained, <clears throat> and the Bible as a whole teaches it, that if you're not saved, if you're not a believer, if you haven't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've not been reconciled with God, then according to the Bible, according to God's word, you belong to this world. You belong to the world system that's operating and at work. Now, some of you will be shocked by that statement. Of course I don't. You've been thinking for a while about your position and where you stand before God. You've been coming to church for a long time and you've been asking questions and you've been watching and you've been hearing and you're interested to a degree, but something prohibits you from calling out to God for his salvation which is made freely available to each and every one of us as we call to him. And it's the world system that does everything it can to try and keep your attention away from the God who created the universe and loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. John fifteen eighteen. if the world Satan system hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That's a great encouragement, that verse is for us as believers. If you were of the world, Satan system, and the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, the world is not the natural environment for us as believers to live in. Because our citizenship is actually not in this world. Our citizenship, the Bible tells us, is in heaven. 
And all the resources that we need for living here in this world are given to us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit living within us. I want you to think for a moment, has, has anybody been scuba diving? You know, when you put one of those masks on, okay, young lady there, how did it go? What, what, successful? Did you enjoy it? Okay. Well, I want you to think for a moment that that's a bit like the believer in the world, isn't it? Because naturally speaking, the water in which we're scuba diving is not our natural environment. We can't cope within it. And the only way you live, Rachel, was because you had a tank of air strapped to your back, right? And you were breathing the air in. Exactly. So there it was. The water is not our natural habitat because we're not equipped for life under it. But when a scuba diver goes under, he or she takes special equipment so that they can breathe. And were it not for the Holy Spirit living within us and the spiritual resources that we have in prayer and in Christian fellowship where we meet together and support each other, then we would simply not survive and cope in this world we could never make it as believers, but we're given the power to be able to do so. One John two verse fifteen. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now that is a very powerful verse. And for a moment I want you to think. What's your love for the world? Perhaps you're prepared to say, I don't love the world. Perhaps deep down you know that you still have a hankering after the world. And the Bible tells us, it says, if anybody loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Worldliness is not so much a matter of activity as of attitude. It's possible for a Christian to stay away from questionable amusements and doubtful places and still love the world. For worldliness is a matter of the heart. Worldliness not only affects your response to the love of God, but it also affects your response to the will of God. And 1 John 2 verse 17 says... The world passes away, but he that does the will of God abides forever. Doing the will of God is a joy for those living in the love of God. If you love me, what do we do? What does the Bible tell us that we do? We will keep his commandments. In other words, they're not hard for us to do because we see the love of God. Therefore, we want to keep the commandments that he gives to us in the way that we live our lives. And when we put these two factors together, we have a practical definition of worldliness. Anything in a Christian's life that causes him or her to lose their enjoyment of the Father's love or for them to lose the desire of the Father and his will is worldly and must be avoided. Now, responding to the Father's love, that's your personal devotional life. And for a moment, think about that. Do you spend time personally seeking God's will in your heart and in your life? And doing the Father's will, that's your daily conduct. Do people know you're a believer? 
Or do you creep out on a Sunday hoping no one sees you going to church? Many things in this world are clearly wrong for believers. God's word defines them clearly for us. And if we were to sit down, we could come up with a whole list of them, couldn't we? Wouldn't be difficult. Could shout out some of them now, but we know that stealing is wrong, don't we? Yeah. Can you remember back as a kid? Now here's the thing, in days gone by, a 50 pence coin was worth a lot. <laughs> but inflation has done its level best to eat away at it. And I saw a shiny 50 pence piece on the dressing table in my mum's bedroom, my mum and dad's room. And I took it. And my mum needed that 50 pence because it bought enough food for us to have a meal that evening. She said, where is it? And do you know what I did next? I lied about it. And I denied it. And that's how sin works. That's how the world works. That's how, that's how it happens. Very simply, very easily. So we know that stealing and lying are wrong. We know that sexual sin is wrong. There's no debating these issues. But there are areas of Christian conduct that are not so clear, aren't there? And in such cases, each believer must apply the test of his own life and be scrupulously honest in his self-examination, remembering that even a good thing may rob a believer of his enjoyment of God's love and his desire to do God's will. And of course, it's worth pointing out, isn't it, that God has given us certain desires. And these desires are good. Many anyway. We get hungry. And that's a good desire because our bodies need food. I've been doing a bit of research on calories recently. Do you know how many kilometers you have to run to burn off the calories that you have in one meal? Something like 10. Who's run 10 kilometers recently? It hurts. I walked to Burgessville and back the other day. That was 17 kilometers. It was very painful. It took me a good week to get over it. But to sit down and eat that meal, no sweat. You just sit there and keep going. It's not a problem. So the desire of hunger is only good if we don't allow it to get carried away. Hunger is not evil, but gluttony is sinful. Thirst, weariness, sex are not evil in themselves. But when the flesh nature controls them, they become sinful lusts. Do you now see how the world operates? It appeals to the normal. 
to appetites and temptations and tempts us to satisfy them in forbidden ways. And it's important that a believer remembers what God says about our old nature, the flesh. Everything God says about the flesh is negative. Romans 7 verse 18, what does it say? It says, in the flesh there is what? No good thing. That's it. There's no discussion. As believers, we're to put no confidence in the flesh. So it's no wonder that John warns us not to love the world. Don't love the world, he says. Now this raises a practical and very important question about the nature of a Christian and how he keeps from getting worldly. got to make sure I've got the right, uh, I'm just going to go back one there, who belongs to the world. It might be right, I'm not sure, we'll see. <laughs> John uses an unusual form of address in 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. And we discussed this a little bit about this at, at Bible study this last week. He addresses his Christian believing readers as little children. What is John referring to here? Why does he use these words? Well, very simply, he's referring to all believers, and literally he means born ones. Those that have been born again. You see, all Christians are only Christians because they have been born into God's family. They've been born into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, and their sins have been forgiven. And it is this very fact that we are God's children, that we are people who share the very nature of God, and this ought in itself to discourage us from becoming friendly with the world. I've got to say to you this evening that to be friendly with the world is treachery to the gospel, to our God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. There again is no discussion with this. Whosoever therefore will be wants to be a friend of the world is the enemy of God, James 4 and verse 4. So now we're in the right place. We're going to recap for a moment. <clears throat> so when it comes to the world system, there are things that the Christian needs to avoid. A Christian stays away from the world because of what the world is. It is a satanic system that hates and opposes Christ. A Christian stays away from the world because of what the world does to us. And we've discussed that in detail. It attracts us to live on sinful substitutes. A Christian stays away from the world because of what we are. We are a child of God. We are born ones. We share the very nature of God. 
And lastly, the Christian stays away from the world because of where the world is going. In 1 John 2 verse 17, the world is passing away. Now, people challenge this statement all the time, and you don't have to take long to look at the news or to hear what people have to say. There are those that are out to save the planet, aren't they? And, and they, they now want to stop you having a gas cooker. You can't burn logs in the house in Europe anymore. Okay, things like this are all being... Everyone's got to have an electric car. Can you imagine when we all plug them in at the same time? Now, that'll be interesting. And in the winter... We might make it the Woodstock. <laughs> because batteries and cold don't get on so well. And there are people that are out to, to save the planet in lots of different ways. And you know what? I, I've got sympathy for this. I went on my walk to Burgessville. What's the number one item of rubbish thrown on the side of the 59? Timmy's. Okay, if they collected it all and cleaned it up, they could use it again. It would save a fortune. The second is McDonald's. And then beer tins. I mean, who's driving cars and throwing beer tins out the window? But there are people that are convinced that this world is going to go on and on and on. They've got nothing to worry about. Yes, we've got to try and make it a bit better by doing this, that, and the other and stop putting plastic in the oceans and so on. Do you think God doesn't know everything that's going on? Do you think his plan is not at work? Yes, we should be careful about what we throw out of the car window. We should be careful how we treat animals. We should be careful that we're good stewards of what God gives to us, that we don't waste things. We should turn off the light switch to save energy because it keeps your, your bills down. But we're not thinking to ourselves that we're going to save the planet in doing that. Because God is in control. He knows what is happening. But the statement is challenged all the time. The world system we have, we can count on it. The financial system, we can count on it. And yet we keep hearing about banks that are going bust. We keep hearing about companies that are running on borrowed time. We keep hearing about countries in the world that are absolutely bankrupt. But our confidence is in the banking system. Our confidence is in the world of finances. But the only sure thing about this world system is that it's not going to last forever. And one day the system will be gone. And the pleasant attractions within it will all be gone. All of it is passing away. Will anything remain? No. Only what is part of God's will will remain. As true believers, we must only keep the loosest of attachments to this world because we live for something far, far better. Hebrews 13, 14 reminds us that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And in his letter, John is contrasting two ways of life, a life lived for eternity and a life lived for time. A worldly person lives for the pleasures of the flesh. But a dedicated believer, a Christian, someone who's come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, lives for the joy of bringing glory to God. The worldly believe lives 
or live lives rather for what they can see. The lusts of the flesh, we're told there in the section of Scripture that we've read. But a spiritual believer lives for the unseen realities of God. A worldly-minded person lives for the pride of life, the vainglory that appeals to men and women. But a Christian who does the will of God lives for God's approval. And he abides forever. Slowly, but inevitably, and perhaps sooner than even we as believers think, the world is passing away. But the man who does God's will abides forever. So to sum it up, we all know the story of the wise and the foolish builder. Has anyone built a house on sand? I just ask it out of curiosity. I suppose in Ontario there's a pretty good chance that that your house has been built on sand because there's a lot of sand around. Uh, only down by the creek, you only have to dig about that deep and you just come across sand at the bottom of our, of our yard. And I look up at the house and I think, I wonder what that's built on. <laughs> we don't deliberately do that, do we? Who's been to the beach and built a sandcastle? Love it. It's great fun. When we used to go to the beach in North Devon, my dad used to take his, his garden spade with us. If you're going to do a job, you've got to do it properly. And we'd have the biggest sandcastle on the beach. And one day, the, uh, the, life, uh, the lifeguard came along and said, oh, would you mind if I sat on top of your sandcastle <laughs> so that I can see the sea and what's going on? But you know what? When we bent back the following morning, all of it was gone. In fact, there wasn't any evidence of it having existed at all. We used to go on uh, the church camp to North Devon as well. And uh, the pastor's son, Pete, Pete Morgan, he dug a hole on one occasion. It was huge. This hole, was, it was crazy. And, it, and there was four of them in there digging it out. It was just massive. And in the morning it was gone. Not a, not a ripple in the sand. And that is what many of us are building our lives on. For a short while, it looks great. Stick a little flag on the top. Look what I've done. And then the tide comes in and washes it all away. All the arguments we put up the defenses we made. The times we stood up against people and we argued with them. All gone. Not a mark left. And we're forgotten. But the wise man built his house on the rock. And the rock that we refer to this evening is Jesus himself. Because it doesn't matter if a tsunami comes in. The rock of Jesus Christ stands forever. The same yesterday, today and forever. And nothing. This world thinks it's so clever and it's going to deal with everything. And you know, all these Christians are old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy, out of touch. 
individuals who just cause trouble. But we have the God who created the universe and has shown his love to us and he saved us through his son and we will be united with him for all eternity. And what he's done through us remains because we make an impact on this world and we rejoice in that. A Christian is in the world physically, John 17, 11, but we're not in the world spiritually, John 17, 14. Christ has sent us into the world to bear witness of him, John 17, 18. A Christian cannot help being in the world, but when the world gets into the Christian, trouble starts. I've said it before and I say it again, when the church imitates the world to win the world, it ends up being won by the world. When the individual believer imitates the world to win the world, you know, I'll go to a nightclub and evangelize. I mean, I've never tried it, but if you try giving out gospel tracts in a nightclub, <laughs> there are times when we have to recognize what's right, what's wrong. How does the world get into the Christian? Friends, it's very straightforward. We are to love not the world. And the moment our affection is drawn to the world, then our relationship with God begins to break. Anything that robs a Christian of his enjoyment of the Father's love or of his desire to do the Father's will is worldly and must be avoided. A Christian must decide, will I live for the present only or will I live for the will of God that abides forever? And Jesus illustrated this choice by telling about two men. One built on the sand and the other built on the rock. Where are you building? Sand's a lot easier, isn't it? Just turn up, get the spade out, and you're away. Try building on the rock. That can be harder. It can take time. But what we do lasts because it's what God would have us do. Love for the world is the love God hates. It is the love that a Christian must shun at all costs. Some of us are fighting temptation even as we're sat here this evening. The pull of the world is so strong but it's because we've taken our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we have allowed our eyes to wander. And the lust of the flesh. And instead of being hungry for the food that we need, we've become gluttons for what we don't need. So friends, those are the reasons why 
believers here are not interested in your life if you're not saved. Those are just some of the reasons why we're not interested in it. Because we want to be building on the rock, which is Jesus.